please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship with a Palm Sunday call to worship, which you'll see on the screens in front of you. As the time came for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As he went along, people spread out their cloaks in the road, while others cut up branches from the trees and spread them on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest.
Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior.
Father, we want to praise you and cry out with the crowd, Hosanna in the highest. You are the Lord, the King of all. And we've come today to worship you, and our prayer is that through your Spirit, we will encounter you in new ways today. Speak into our lives through Christ. Amen. It's so great to see all of you as we gather for worship today. Take a moment, share with a greeting, a word of greeting with others who are here as well. Most of you weren't, wouldn't be aware of this, but you could hear it, I'm sure, as the kids were in the back getting ready to bring in the uh, palm branches. There was noise and excitement. And first service, especially, we were trying to do that opening reading, and you could hardly hear anything. They were so excited. And I thought to myself, that's what I think that first Palm Sunday was like. There was just so much joy and excitement. And we come today in joy because of what Christ has done for us, and we celebrate him together. And it's a joy to be able to do that. I want to say just a quick word uh, to you of uh, appreciation. Cindy and I have felt supported and loved by this congregation for the 18 plus years we've been here. And last Sunday's pastoral vote was one more means of uh, your support and prayers and uh, your love to us. We appreciate that. And we are excited to be able to, uh, to respond to your call positively and look forward to uh, much more time together years ago of ministry together here in Houghton. And so we want to thank you for your love and your support. And uh, we look forward to the days ahead as we minister for Christ uh, just a few things to uh, mention in the bulletin tonight at 5 o'clock. The choir is presenting Rudder's Requiem. And uh, this is maybe something out of your uh, normal music pattern, but uh, it's a powerful piece. And uh, I hope you'll join us tonight as we begin what the church calls Holy Week. And we move on uh, through this time together. You see on the back of the bulletin a schedule of uh, Holy Week activities. There will be nothing going on Wednesday night. Thursday night is our Monday Thursday service. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's a time, a service that's uh, pretty uh, contemplative, um, uh, more of a meditative spirit as uh, we uh, think about the last night of Christ's life and on through his uh, death and burial. Uh, there's a, a service of lights uh, that we end the service with and darkness and a lot of symbolism in this gathering. On um, Friday, we will again, uh, again, are offering to you uh, what we're calling the Journey to the Cross in the uh, gym, the community room behind us. Uh, there will be uh, stations, destinations uh, put up around the gym, and uh, you can visit those at your pace. Some people spend 10 or 15 minutes. Some people spend an hour. It's just up to you. You can stay as long as you want. But it's just uh, ways of reminding us of those events in the last hours of Jesus' life. The, the, uh, during the cross will be open from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And you just feel free to come and go anytime during uh, that time together. People will be there to uh, assist you if you need that. We are welcoming children. The picture is a little bit dark. You see a little bit of what it looks like. Uh, but uh, we'd love to have children be a part of this. If they're young children, probably won't have parents just to help walk them, guide them through the process. But we have some materials that are geared to children as well. And there's a lot of, uh, 
lot of tangible, tactile things uh, to work with as you uh, experience this. So we hope you're, you will join us sometime between 10 and 6 on Friday. And then next Sunday is Easter. And uh, you see the schedule in the bulletin about Easter. 745 is uh, our first service. And there will be a service of baptism and celebration. Uh, at uh, 8.30, we'll begin the breakfast up on campus. And then at 10 o'clock is our regular worship service here at the church. So just note the change in the schedule for next weekend. Uh, you will also note that there are some needs for children's church help next Sunday as well as during May. If you can assist with that, that would be greatly appreciated. You can contact Emily. Also, there's an insert in your bulletin about helping with the nursery. I suspect a number of you will not be in town May through September. But if you are, uh, your help would be greatly appreciated in working with our uh, infants. And you can put, sign up on the sheet. You can drop in the offering plate if you have time to do that. Or you can uh, drop it by the church office or send it through campus mail to the church as well. We're also collecting flowers for next Sunday for Easter too. And so there, there are a number of things here uh, just to bring to your attention. Uh, I did want to mention uh, that after uh, a lengthy illness, Lyndall Hutton died yesterday, and uh, we uh, want to continue to pray for his family in the days ahead. There will be a memorial service for Lyndall in June, and that will also uh, coincide with a committal for his wife, Ruth, who died a couple of months ago. And, uh, but there is a visitation this week uh, at the Copler Williams Funeral Home in Fillmore, Wednesday night, 7 to 9, and Saturday, 2 to 4. So the, the visitation for Lyndall Hutton, Wednesday night, 7 to 9, and Saturday, 2 to 4. That will be posted on our website as well as the Copler Williams Funeral Home website. Uh, we come today so blessed by God. We are blessed uh, in a variety of ways. And uh, one of the ways he blesses us is with uh, material possessions. And this morning we have the opportunity to give back to him. As the ushers come and receive our our gifts, uh, may we give them in the spirit of uh, our gratitude to God. Holy Jesus, how hast thou offended that we to judge thee? Having hate pretended by foes derided by thine own.
spend time praying together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, we come to you today with a mixture of emotions and a need to confess our sins. We hear the sufferings of Jesus, and yet we so often run from any hardship for ourselves. We set high expectations for others and then resist similar expectations. In our lives, we clamor for attention for our needs, but we are often unfeeling toward the needs of others. We're lenient about our own faults and severe about the faults of others. We are quick to speak and slow to listen. We often judge on outward appearances before discovering the character within others. Father, we pray that you will be patient with us, that you will forgive us, forgive our foolish, selfish ways, give us grace when we, when we slip and falter. We pray, Father, that you will make us ever aware that you extend your graciousness and your love to us. Father, we pray that you will pour out your spirit, not only on us, but on others. We pray for Lyndall's family at this time of death and ask for your mercy, your comforting grace upon them. Father, we pray for others who are grieving today. Fill them with your spirit's grace. Lord, we pray for those who are wrestling with living in this fallen world and with fragile bodies and with the struggles that come to us. We think especially today of Jeannie and Donna, of Bev and Edna, Linda and Micah, of Bob and Bill 
Crystal, Emily, and for others who are in our hearts and minds today. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who face persecution in this world. We think especially of the Christians in North Korea who are severely oppressed. We pray that you would give them strength, protect them from the evil one, help them to know your grace in their lives. We pray, Father, for your church there, that in the midst of the, uh, the evil one's attacks, they would know your grace and power to be your people. And may their witness inspire us. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Make us people who continue to reach out, to care about the world right around us and around the globe. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's scripture reading is coming from the chapter 22 of Luke. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Luke 22, 24 through 38, and 47 through 53. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The king of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is, not, is it not the one who is at the table? But I, am not, er, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in, the, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. 
and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. This is the word of the Lord.
Are we up now? There we go. Jesus is with his disciples. They uh, have been in this, la- in this room. He's had the, the meal with them. He's instituted what we call the Last Supper. He's poured out his heart to them as he's preparing them for what he's about to experience in a few hours. And as he comes to the end of this conversation, he says to them, When I sent you out before, and Luke records this in chapter 10, When I sent you out before, did you lack anything? I, I sent you and told you, don't take money, don't take supplies, don't take anything with you, just go. Did, did you lack anything? And they say, no, nothing. We had everything we needed. He says, well, I'm going to send you out again, but this time things are going to be different. When I go to the cross, I am going to be treated like a criminal. And in this verse, verse 37, he talks about being numbered with the transgressors. And that's a quote from Isaiah 53. He says, when that happens, people are going to see you differently because they see me differently. When the disciples go out the first time, it's almost as though they're groupies of a rock star. I mean, everybody loves Jesus. Every town he enters, they flock to see him. If they think Jesus might be going to this town, they flock to get there. People can't wait to get to Jesus. And when they find out that these men are his close associates, they want to do everything possible for them. You know Jesus? Come stay at my house. You know Jesus? Here, come have dinner with us. You're you're close to Jesus? Let me walk with you down this road to the next town because it can be a little bit dangerous. Everything's taken care of. He says, now things are going to be different. The times, they are a-changing. It's not going to be the same anymore. And you need to prepare yourself for that. People who treated you with hospitality are not going to treat you with hostility. People who welcomed you are going to reject you. And you need to know that. You need to understand that. Now, when Jesus says, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one, There are people who say that gives us the permission to take up arms to defend Jesus. But I don't think that's what Jesus means. He's not, and then he says, the disciples say, okay, Lord, we got two swords. And he says, that's enough. I don't think Jesus means all we're going to need are two swords to defend ourselves. All we're going to need is two swords. Two swords isn't going to help them with this mob that comes to arrest Jesus. If he thinks it is, he's out of his mind. They have dozens and dozens of people who are armed with swords and clubs. Much less is that going to be anything against the Roman Empire. Jesus, when he says, that's enough, I don't think Jesus is saying, two swords will be good. He's saying, stop talking about swords. The message translates this, enough of this sword talk. They're enamored with the swords. It's interesting to me that they have, Jesus talks about money, he talks about supplies, and he talks about swords, and the only thing that they focus on are the swords. Because we live, they live in a culture, and we do as well, that's all about power. The natural human response to opposition is power. We are, they are in a culture, and we are in a culture that says strength is defined by power. You win. You get things done by power. Whoever has the most power wins. And that means 
Whoever has the swords wins. And when we have that mindset, when we believe that strength is found in power, which is, I think, why the disciples just a little bit before argue about who's the greatest. It's who's got the most clout, who's got the power. When we believe that strength is defined by power, we can't help but, but begin to focus our conversations around rights. My rights. Your rights. And I'm convinced one of the most dangerous sentences for a follower of Jesus is, I have the right to. That very sentence takes us down a path that veers us away from the cross and away from Jesus. Paul writes, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and went to the cross. Now, we have rights. Jesus has rights, but he refuses to grab them. And that's our calling too. But we get so wrapped up in rights because we believe deep in our hearts that it's power that most adequately defines strength. And so we're all about rights. And you'll hear it all the time from Christians. I have the right to worship where I want to. I have the right to worship in any way I want to. I have the right to say whatever I want to say in whatever arena I want to say it. I have the right to put Christian symbols on my desk. I have the right to wear Christian jewelry. I have the right to do anything. I have the right And Jesus says, I have the right too, but I'm not taking it. Because the, the definition of strength in the kingdom of God is not power, it's surrender. There are places in the world where people are severely persecuted. Some of the examples that I started with. In some places there, in some places of, of Africa, there is a vigilante movement where they have decided that they're not going to take this anymore and their response to being persecuted is to persecute. And they have, there is this, this group of, of people who call themselves Christians and they are the Lord's army and they are terrorists. And they go into Muslim villages and villages of other people who they think are opposing them, and they do to them what has been done to them. And they massacre women, children, men. They take out whole villages in the name of Christ. And that's an aberration to what we typically see, but there is also a movement in parts of Africa that is, for lack of a better term, calling it don't turn the third cheek. You know, Jesus says, if your enemy strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the left. And they're basically saying, you can hit me on the cheek once, you can hit me on the cheek twice, but I'm not going to let you hit me on the cheek a third time. If you try to hit me on the cheek the third time, I'm fighting back. I'm coming after you. I'm going to be even proactive about it. We're going to defend ourselves. And if we have to take you out to do it, we will. 
Now, I think we need to be really careful as I've been pondering this because I don't want to pass judgment on people who face stuff that you and I know nothing about. We don't know anything about the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters in far too many places of the world endure. Our brothers and sisters, many of them, face opposition and persecution that is beyond our comprehension. And we need to be so careful about judging them. But even if we just think about our own lives and how we respond, it comes back often to rights. And we and the, and the conversation of rights often moves from the defensive to the offensive. And it's contrary to the cross. I think underlying this mindset of, of strength as power and, and this mindset of, of rights and the conversation of rights is, is the perspective that we tend to have that persecution and opposition is bad. That it's atypical for Christians. And our goal is to eliminate it. And yet when we read the Gospels, Jesus says things like Matthew 24, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. They have hated both me and my father and this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And Peter writes, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you as though something strange were happening to you. We often think opposition is, is odd and, and we shouldn't have to face it. But Jesus says you ought to expect it. We're fighting against the evil one. That's what he's doing. He's going to oppose God's people. In fact, some people would believe that being opposed, facing opposition is one sign that perhaps our walk with Christ is on the right path. John Wesley used to, used to write and talk about how if he hadn't faced any persecution or opposition for a few days, it made him question his journey with Jesus. If no one had thrown rotten vegetables at him, if no one had tried to hit him with stones, if no one had tried to grab him along the road and, and beat him up, he'd get down on his knees and say, Lord, is there something wrong with me? And we think he's out of his mind. See, we look at, at ourselves and say, man, we are so, we're so blessed by God. We're, our lives are so great that we don't have to face persecution. And it's too bad that our brothers and sisters have to do that. And we see them as atypical, but maybe they're the ones who are normal Christians. We're the ones who are the aberration. And we give thanks to God for our freedoms. We give thanks to God that we don't face the kinds of things that they do. And we pray for them to not have to keep facing it. But quite frankly, we ought to expect opposition. The evil one's against us. He's fighting us. He's trying to destroy us. It ought to be the most natural thing in the world for people to oppose us. And we ought to expect it. And it's not that we walk into it. We're not looking for it. We don't go looking for a fight. 
You know, we're not walking around saying, all right, where are you persecutors? Here I am, hit me. But we expect it. And this is what Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand. Things are going to be different. And you need to understand that. You need to expect people to oppose you. Because they opposed me. They put me on a cross. They're going to do the same things to you. And we know from reading the the book of Acts. And we know from reading church history. That's exactly what happens. And there ought to be a level of expectation. Because we are against the evil one. And he is against us. But God is not trying, Jesus is not trying to instill fear in his disciples. That's one of the problems. We operate often out of a spirit of fear. When Peter swings the sword in the garden, he's operating out of a position of fear. He's trying to defend Jesus. It's all about fear because, you know, and, and... we have this sense often of we, we don't want Jesus to look bad. And so we use our swords. We don't typically take up actual guns and weapons. We use other swords. We use our tongues to fight people. We use political machinery to fight people. We file lawsuits and, and we march and protest and, and we do these kinds of things because we want to defend Jesus. We don't want Jesus to look bad But is it really our calling to defend Jesus? Sometimes I wonder if the underlying reason we do things is because we don't want to look bad. If you don't stand up for yourself in our culture, in the same way they don't stand up for themselves in their culture, you look like an idiot. Come on, fight. What's wrong with you? Let's go. Let's do this. And, and, And people want to bait us into that. And often we take the bait. I think about Jesus hanging on the cross and and the the people who put him there yell up at him, so if you're the son of God, let's see it. If you're the son of God, why don't you come down and show us? Come on. I, I cannot imagine how much of a temptation it was for Jesus to do just that. Because he could have. He could have come down from the cross and shown them things they would never have wanted to see. I can't imagine. And you and I get a glimpse of that when people say similar things to us as Christians. It's hard not to defend ourselves. It's hard not to to want people to, not to look good in front of other people. But that's the way of the cross. Instead of responding out of a spirit of fear, that's our natural way of responding, Jesus is simply trying to help the disciples understand that they need to rely on him that much more. Peter says, Lord, I'll go to death for you. I've got this covered. I'm I'm good. I'm strong. I can do anything. And Jesus is just shaking his head and saying, really, Peter? Six hours? Twelve hours? You're you're going to deny you even know who I am, and you're all going to run. Really? See, we have a tendency to think, I'm strong enough. I've got this. 
And Jesus is simply trying to help his disciples. He's trying to help us understand that the persecution that's going to come to us is we can't, we can't beat it on our own. It's more than any of us can handle. And we need to rely that much more on the Spirit. This is a moment to trust him and to, to acknowledge that the only way we're going to get through this is to trust him and to lean on him and to be all about him. Some of you may be familiar with Joseph Son, who was the leader, one of the leaders of the church in Romania during the, uh, the communist oppression. He was often arrested, imprisoned, tortured. He tells of one particular time when the secret police arrested him and they, they tortured him mercilessly. He went back to his cell and he said he fell on his face before God. And he said, Lord, they're destroying me. I can't do this. I just can't take anymore. And he said it was as if, as if he heard God say to him, Joseph, get up. Do you think the secret police are greater, more powerful than the king of the universe? And he got up with a newfound fear. Not a fear anymore of those who are persecuting him, but an awe of God and the power of his kingdom. And the next time they they came to persecute him, they noticed something different about him. And the, the chief interrogator said, Joseph, you are so stupid that you won't give in. I should just shoot you right now. And he said, go ahead. If you use... Your greatest weapon and I'll use mine. The guy said, what's your greatest weapon? What have you possibly got? He said, well, your greatest weapon is to kill me. My greatest weapon is to die. Because when I die, my blood will be sprinkled on every sermon I've ever preached, everything I've ever written. And God will use it powerfully. That's the witness of someone who has said, it's not about fear, it's about trust. It's about reliance. It's about expecting opposition, preparing for it. Not to fight, but to love. And to respond as Jesus does. So what do we do? What do we do about the opposition that we ought to expect? Let me suggest three things. We ought to prepare ourselves for expected opposition. We ought to have a mindset that isn't surprised when we're opposed, but we anticipate it. And in that preparation, we then put ourselves in a place where instead of responding out of a spirit of fear or or preparation that leads us to fight, we prepare to love. And love takes many forms. Sometimes love is a gentle defense. But it's still a spirit of love, not power and might. Second, 
We need to be advocates for our brothers and sisters who face persecution that we can't even begin to fathom. I want to encourage you to, uh, to sign up either by email or to have mail come to, uh, snail mail to come to you from an organization that will help inform you and give you ways to pray for our brothers and sisters. I mean, I'll list three of them for you. Barnabas Fund, Open Doors, Voice of the Martyrs. Let me encourage you to write one of those down today and go sign up to get their emails. They come regularly. And they will help you know what's happening in places of the world that we often ignore and forget. And you can pray for them. Because one of the most significant ways of being advocates for our brothers and sisters is to support them. And, and often the stories come back that they feel alone. They feel as though no one thinks about them. No one remembers them. We need to remember them. Don Little is just in the finishing stages of a book, and one of the chapters is about how to respond to opposition and persecution, and he was gracious enough to send me that chapter. And one of the statements that he makes in there is that the difference between people who are, deci- who are inexperienced disciples and people who are experienced disciples in these difficult settings is that the inexperienced disciples focus most of all of their attention on personal disciplines. Scripture memory, prayer, important things. But he says the experienced disciples always bring people to the church as a place of support and love and compassion and grace and help. And that's what we need to be. But I also think we need to be advocates for any people who are oppressed and vulnerable. One of the things that that separates followers of Jesus from other religious faiths is that we're not just concerned about ourselves. The point is not just we protect Christians. The point is we try to protect and become advocates for all people who are oppressed and vulnerable. One of the things that I I just discovered in conversations with with Don and and Ben Hegeman is that more Muslims are, are persecuted by Muslims than Christians are persecuted by Muslims. In fact, I just read yesterday that in 2012, 75% of all religious deaths, religious killings, were Muslims who were murdered by Muslims because they have a different view of their faith. And the places where Christianity is making, getting a hold, the place where Christians are making a difference, it involves caring for these Muslims who are oppressed as much or more as the Christians are. It's about caring and being advocates for people even of different faiths, even of people who have different ideas about what it, lifestyle choices. But they are persecuted, they're oppressed, they're vulnerable. And the Christians step in and they defend them and they even put themselves at risk for these people who are not even Christians. Just like Jesus does. And it's making a difference. And we have people right around us who are vulnerable and oppressed. They're oppressed by the system of our government. 
They're oppressed by life, by the world, by, by circumstances, by other people. I mean, the world through the centuries has been, has been built on taking advantage of the people who are most vulnerable. And through the centuries, Christians have continually and consistently been a voice for those people. We need to be such a voice. And if we're going to step up, if we're going to talk about rights for anyone, not about ours, but about theirs. In the spirit of Christ. It intrigues me that as we find the scene in the garden, after Peter cuts off the servant's ear, Jesus heals him. And Jesus heals the ear of the servant of the high priest Caiaphas. The same Caiaphas who has instigated Jesus being arrested. He will instigate Jesus being tortured. He will instigate Jesus being crucified. He has a lot to do with Israel turning away from God in that day because of his position of power. And yet Jesus shows mercy and love to his servant. And that's our calling. To prepare for whatever may come against us, not to fight, but to love. Because we believe that in the kingdom of God, love conquers hate. Christ conquers all. Heavenly Father, we pray for your mercy and grace on us. Help us, Father, to really ponder this hard word and to see you in the midst of it. Help us to replace fear with trust. And we do pray for our brothers and sisters who are oppressed, persecuted, and for all who are oppressed and persecuted. Give us your grace through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing together.
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.